Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ashley. I am prepping a new show for you, but it's not quite ready this week. So in the meantime, I'm re-releasing this episode on power and body language because it's one of my favorites from over the years. There's a lot in here that is still totally relevant today and some other things I hope have changed. Here's the show. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, the messages we send at work, not through what we say, but through what we don't say. You take a normal body and you make it even more compact. That's a sign of both, quote, femininity, and it's also a sign of low power. He who has the power takes up more room. And what do you do when you go to a meeting prepared to do business and you're greeted warmly? Quite often I get pulled in for a kiss uh, and I've had one person tell me not to be so formal. It's all jokey. It's It's all intended to be very nice. Or is it? Coming up, power and body language at work. Several months ago, I did a show on communication at the office, but that show only covered verbal communication, and so much of our communication is non-verbal. It's in the looks we give, in smiles, in gestures. Marianne LaFrance has devoted her working life to researching this topic. She's a professor of psychology and women and gender sexuality studies at Yale. Power is often reflected in the fact that people with power, that is having higher power than someone else, they tend to take up more space. So they talk more, they physically take up more room, their arms are spread out, their legs are spread out. They tend to assume that the floor is theirs. So they engage in more presentation that others have to listen to. A while after Marianne and I spoke, I was looking at coverage of the cafe siege in Sydney that left two hostages dead. One of the images that popped up on the New York Times website showed a male TV reporter talking to camera near the site of the siege. He was standing with his feet in a wide V-shape, smacking of confidence. He looked like he owned the street. I don't think I've ever seen a female reporter stand like that. I know I never have. And what about what about women in the workplace and what we tend to do? I don't want to, you know. I don't want to indicate that everybody kind of crosses their legs and folds themselves into a pretzel when they're sitting in a meeting. But I know I've done that. And I wonder if you could talk about the ways in which women use our posture in the workplace. 
Well, women, you've described it absolutely rightly. That is, women take up little space. And how that's accomplished is that if they're sitting, then the lower legs are parallel and the knees are together, or one leg is crossed over the other at the ankle, reducing the distance between the legs um, in a lateral sense. Arms tend to be very close to the body, often such that hands are folded in the lap or uh, at the very least, the elbows are held close to the sides of the body. So you take a normal body and you make it even more compact. That's a sign of both, quote, femininity. And it's also a sign of low power. It all goes back to how women are raised and the messages we get about what we're supposed to be. Neat, tidy, small and inoffensive. Basically, this kind of condensing posture says, I'm not really here. Don't notice me. Don't ask me anything. That's certainly what I've tried to achieve subconsciously in some past job situations. But one of my listeners, Alicia Miranda, she wrote to me recently with the opposite problem. Until a few weeks ago, she was with a company where her bosses implied she was sitting too confidently. They said her posture was too assertive, asked that she sit back a bit in meetings to diminish what they saw as a confrontational stance. In other words, the exact way a guy would sit. She was also reprimanded for taking notes on her laptop during meetings, having her head down indicated to them she wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing that's interesting is often people have a reaction to someone who steps outside of the usual gender rules for how to hold one's body or how to hold one's voice, for that matter. So that often people are told either to quiet down or to be more respectful or adopt some position that suggests that they are listening and they're going to be good doobies rather than uh, speak out. And we got a hint of this just now with Alicia's experience, but Marianne says this question of power, it's not just in how we hold our bodies, it's present in eye contact as well. There's a lot of eye contact going on precisely when the high-power person's talking. So let's imagine I'm now in a high-power role and you and I are having a conversation, I will talk and look at you directly while I'm talking. And you will look back because good listeners tend to look at the people who are talking. The result is that there's a lot of this eye contact or mutual gaze. But what happens when the conversation changes hands, as it were, now the low power person is talking and they probably won't look very much while they're talking. In other words, that lower power person doesn't quite dare to hold eye contact with the more powerful person they're addressing. And meanwhile, the high power person is in the uncommon position of having to listen, and they tend not to look at the person who's talking. So translated to the workplace, many women will be the ones at the end of all that eye contact. But when it's their turn to speak, their boss will tend to look away quite a bit during that interaction. Now, you can't do a show on nonverbal communication and power without mentioning Amy Cuddy. A lot of you probably know who I'm talking about. For those who don't, Cuddy's a sociology professor at Harvard Business School who shot to fame after a TED talk she gave in 2012. Is this, that you change your posture for two minutes. But before I give it away, I want to ask you to right now do a little audit of your body and what you're doing with your body. So how many of you are sort of making yourself smaller? Maybe you're hunching. That 20-minute um, talk is Ted's second most popular ever. It's been viewed more than five million times. 
The element of Cuddy's talk people fixate on is this, that people can actually use what she calls power poses to get into a better state of mind before something nerve-wracking, like an interview or presentation. So in other words, if you're someone who tends to shrink into yourself, if you practice standing like an alpha male, shoulders back, legs spread or feet on a chair, you'll feel more confident when you start that interview. Marianne LaFrance says yes, but there's a twist. On the one hand, I think uh, Professor Cuddy is absolutely right. If women adopt, even for a brief period of time, a an expansive posture, it translates into feeling more expansive, feeling more in control, feeling more power. What she doesn't speak to, however, is what is the effect on other people if they see it. So in fact, the thing that's interesting, if you attend closely to Cuddy's uh, presentation, she will talk about the fact of women suggesting that women before a big meeting or a big class or something, going into the ladies' room and pumping up those shoulders and swinging those arms and holding the chin up high. And that prepares the person for what's coming up. Marianne says there's good reason for the exhortation to do this in private, in the loo, and not actually in the interview or presentation itself. In fact, we are doing some research right now where we're finding that women who adopt expansive postures are not exactly liked a whole lot. So they may feel better themselves, but it also has interpersonal consequences. You've heard it before. Men can be competent and likable, but women are generally seen as one or the other, not both. Now, I'm working on my own posture, and I do think there's a medium here. You don't have to strut like a type A male if that's not you, but you can uncross your legs and arms, for instance. You can try not to hunch. You can stop fiddling with your hair. And if you're a female leader, I would love to hear from you about whether this whole body language thing is something you think about and monitor and how you've dealt with any criticism. I was fascinated by what Amy Cuddy says in her talk about the effects of these so-called power poses. In experiments, she found when people practiced a hunched up pose, arms crossed, etc., for just a few minutes, their stress hormone cortisol went up. And when people used a powerful pose, their testosterone went up. The data are not all consistent on that count, but it makes it makes good sense because uh, testosterone is associated with um, feelings of certainty, uh, self-confidence, self-esteem, if you will. And we know that hormones vary from literally from moment to moment. And we know that both sexes have levels of, of testosterone. So the thing that's interesting is if testosterone actually does go up when women are being more expansive in their postures, that is a really interesting thing and shows, again, once again, that our bodies and our minds and our psyches and our emotions are all tied in very complicated ways with each other. I want to tell you about a new podcast series called Work It. The two hosts won a podcast competition in Charlotte, North Carolina last year, where they beat out 400 other entries to win. The hosts are Stephanie Hale and Jill Bierz, and they have conversations with people about their relationship with their jobs and how it shapes their view of the world. The latest shows include the theme of love with a wedding planner, actually kind of an elopement planner, which I didn't even know was a thing, a therapist and a vet. 
and the theme of having a passion or maybe even obsession with your work. Check out Work It on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts, not to mention wfae.org slash work it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another broad experience listener, Jeff Morris, got in touch with me recently about an aspect of body language he's noticed in his workplace. What I have consistently seen men do with women, in my background, uh, aerospace engineers, is that they will initiate physical contact, almost always on the arm, when they're trying to diffuse a stressful situation or, worse, dismiss the woman's point of view altogether. I've seen it happen before, and and I've probably done it once or twice myself without thinking. I saw it happen the other day in a meeting. The woman didn't flinch, but she visibly stiffened, and frankly, there was no need at all to initiate any physical contact. To be clear, he says, this is always men who are at the same level or higher than the woman they're touching. Marianne LaFrance says this is a tricky situation for the woman at the end of those fingers. Under those circumstances, one can't protest. That's, again, one of those difficult situations because to say, excuse me, um, please please don't touch me, would be seen as making a fuss about something that was completely unintentional, completely benign. You know, what are you getting so exercised about? She says high-power people often feel they have the right to touch others, but think about it the other way round. Most employees wouldn't just go up and tap their boss on the shoulder, let alone touch him or her in a meeting. But touching on the arm? That's just one aspect of unwanted physical contact at work. A couple of months ago, I read an article in the Financial Times by Elaine Moore. She'd recently begun a new beat at the FT covering capital markets, and she was having a lot of meetings in the city, London's financial centre. She was meeting economists, bankers, and the PR people for those people. And almost every one of these contacts was a man. The only women she encountered in this new world were receptionists and assistants. She felt completely outnumbered. At the same time, she found her personal space was no longer her own. Basically, I was getting kissed much more than I would have expected um, and more than than I think a lot of people in other industries realize. So quite often, if I met somebody once um, and and they're a contact and we meet again, uh, it doesn't really matter what time of day it is, whether it's a dinner or it's a lunch or it's even breakfast meetings, coffees, and quite often in quite formal settings. So within the bank or or within a, a public, a restaurant or something, fairly often when I arrive, I would be greeted with a a kiss on either cheek. Now you might say, well, isn't that nice? How friendly. Even Elaine didn't think much of it initially. 
until I came into the office after a breakfast meeting and spoke to some of my male colleagues because I'd, I'd been kissed by about five different people who I didn't know. And I asked them whether it was happening, whether, you know, the opposite sex greeted them with kisses and they all looked at me as though I was mad. It doesn't happen to them. I don't think it ever happens to them. Her female colleagues, on the other hand, they experience the same thing, the one-way kiss from men. Elaine says it just felt weird. It really makes you... Um, notice that you are different to everybody else in the room I think if you're treated in a different way even if you're being treated in a way that you know is is supposed to be really nice it's just a little kind of a reminder that you are not the same as everybody else in the room and I think that you kind of are you're you're very aware of that already so it's just slightly odd because it kind of reinforces the idea that everybody else also recognizes that you're not the same as everybody else in the room and that can be quite tricky I think in the workplace I don't think that's necessarily really helpful when you're trying to to do a job at which point I couldn't help wondering whether this had always been an issue for women in financial services in London they may be relatively few but they have been around for a few decades now it strikes me also as a much more European thing because it's not something, you know, that the Americans are much more hands off when it comes to that sort of thing. Even friends don't kiss here as much as they do in Europe. Really? That's very interesting. I think I think that's the UK's mm, special quality is that we sit halfway between the US and Europe. And I, don't, I think in, in certain social situations like these, we're not quite sure where we are, what we're doing. We're trying to be polite to one another. And we, uh, we've, we've lost the kind of very formal um, social uh, ceremonies that maybe we used to, to do. And so now we're trying to sort of make it up on the hoof. And sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't go very well. Uh, I think you're right. I think, I'm sure that the European influence has something to do with it. I think women probably were kissed when they were starting off in the 80s in some of these industries. I've, I spoke to a lot of my friends who work in other industries when I was thinking about this because I wanted to make sure it wasn't just, you know, a few random instances, um, something odd that was happening in a new job. And I, I found that to some of them, the whole thing seemed completely absurd. And that that happened when they worked in industries that were more evenly um, men and women distributed. Um, so people who were working in the charity section had never heard of it. That would never happen. Whereas those who, who worked in still quite male-dominated industries, one girl is a comedy writer and comedy comedy writers' rooms are predominantly male. She said that it happens to her all the time. So I think that it's the gender split. That's what's kind of behind the behaviour. We'll get back to that thought in a minute. But first, I wondered what happens when Elaine sticks out her hand for a more dignified greeting. <laughs> I get pulled in. Quite often I get pulled in for a kiss. Uh, and I've had one person tell me not to be so formal. Um, it, it's all jokey. It's all, it's all intended to be very nice. Uh, but I, th- I think some people, some men, find it awkward to shake a woman's hand because they think a handshake is something you do with men. And kisses are something you do with with women so I guess they're they're thinking of you know in their own social circles they wouldn't shake hands with the wives of their their friends or their female friends so I think that's what they're they're kind of referencing when they're going in for a kiss. And to me that's just the problem. Elaine's article is a funny light-hearted piece but what niggled at me from the get-go was just that last point. Marianne LaFrance says when men kiss women in this kind of work environment... It basically changes a professional context into a social one, which is a way to reduce someone's stature. 
to put women back in their box to treat them as social prop rather than someone on the same level. I read it as disempowering for her, the woman. I think it is disempowering, again, because what it does is redefine the situation. So you think you're here to discuss currency exchange, but someone else is going to first remind you that you are just a nice woman after all, which is a way to put you down. It's it's a subtle way of reducing your stature as someone who has important things to talk about. One of the things that women have a tough time doing still is being taken seriously in a professional context. And anything that subtly undermines their stature as professionals can have some undoing consequences. Elaine has done her best to keep any such consequences at bay. She can hardly duck, still. I try to avoid it, so I tried to be quite formal. Um, and I, I have noticed that since I wrote that piece, <laughs> I get kissed very <laughs> hardly at all now. So something's changed. No more business kisses for Elaine Moore. I'll link you to her piece under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. When I was putting the podcast together, I checked in with a powerful woman I know in London, who some of you will remember, business owner Heather McGregor. She says she never greets new contacts of either sex with anything other than a firm handshake. But sure enough, men will go straight for her cheek, even at a first meeting. I'd love to hear your experiences of any of the topics we've discussed on the show today. Post a comment on the website or on the show's Facebook page. I will be checking in. And have you ever thought about power and smiling? Marianne LaFrance and I had a much longer conversation, and because I didn't have time to include it in this show, I'm writing a blog post about gender and smiling at work so you can read all about it. Go to thebroadexperience.com for that. Okay, so it's 2020 Ashley here again. Re-listening to this show today, there are actually a couple of places where I thought I'd love to do an update because since this episode first went out six years ago, I can hardly believe it was that long, we've had the Me Too movement, but of course we also have a global pandemic and that means that so much of the non-verbal communication we are either exhibiting ourselves or watching in other people, it's now happening on a screen rather than in person. So If you would like to hear an update on some of the issues that were discussed in this show, let me know. I do this show for you and I want to give you what you want. That's it for now. You'll get a new show very soon. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 